Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you're staying healthy. The Rona is, uh, they're winning by two touchdowns, and, and I think they're going to cover the spread. It's its getting crazy out there. Everyone just wear a mask, be careful. We don't want to get locked down again. We want to beat this thing. We're not to winner. Just let's please all try to do our best here. The Bills, they tried to do their best. Unfortunately, sometimes your best isn't good enough, and I think that's the message that came out of the desert on Sunday afternoon. That game was an interesting game to me for so many reasons. First off, Arizona's fun to watch. Kyler Murray, I I saw him play last year early on, and having seen him at Oklahoma, the the speed, the human joystick ability, I I think faster and maybe more elusive than Lamar Jackson, which is like an insane thought. But I really think in the open field, Kyler Murray may be more difficult to tackle than Lamar Jackson. And that, that's almost a, an unfathomably stupid statement on the surface until you look at it, and it's it's probably factual. So watching them and early on seeing Murray throw the ball the way he does, you knew they had something there. And then Bill O'Brien decides he wants to make Arizona great again and gives them DeAndre Hopkins for essentially a bag of balls and a second-round pick. Obviously, as we know, Hopkins made the play of the game Sunday against the Bills. But I thought there was a lot more to it. So before we get into the play, I want to talk about the game. And I I think this is something that the Bills have done all year, and and, and it's got to stop and it's got to get better. And it's in-game adjustments. And I think their ability to game plan has been great. And, And we've seen it time and time again, where the Bills come out and Brian Dable's got a great game plan. They score early, get up on people. But after halftime, things change. The Bills for the season now have been outscored in the third quarter by a pretty good rate, and it's 76-40. to They've almost been doubled up in the third quarter. Well, think about that. You go to halftime, the coaches get together, discuss things, figure out a way to improve in the second half. The Bills are being out coached coming out of halftime. That's that 76 to 40 number is that the opposing coaching staffs are doing a better job of evaluating what's happening in real time and planning for it. Now, again, the Bills coaching staff, as far as preparation, game-wise, getting their team ready to play, they are doing a great job. Where they're not doing a great job is in-game adjustments. And I've always said about Sean McDermott, there's one facet of his coaching ability that's lacking. He is a fantastic motivator. He's a fantastic game planner. I think he's a fantastic guy to create a scenario where a team comes together. I don't know that there's anyone better at building a culture than Sean McDermott has been in Buffalo considering what he got when he what he had when he got there. So all those things are great. The lacking part is the in-game adjustments. And this is where McDermott simply has got to get better. And he does the same things over and over again, almost to a detriment. The game was going along well early. 
Then the fact that the Bills couldn't stop the run, and this is another problem. They're now 27th in the NFL against the run this year. They missed Starla Tulele badly in the middle of that defensive line to help Ed Oliver free up to keep people off the feet of the linebackers. They also missed Matt Milano because as much as A.J. Klein has shown some things the last couple of weeks, nobody's ever going to make the case that A.J. Klein is anywhere close to the player Matt Milano is. So these things start to snowball in the game. And when opposing teams find a weakness, they go to it. And it happened Sunday. And you look at what the Cardinals did. Kenyon Drake, 100 yards on 16 carries. Chase Edmonds, 56 yards on eight carries. You look at Murray, 61 yards and two touchdowns. And two touchdowns basically untouched. It's got to be better. The defense has got to do a better job against the run. Offensively, Josh Allen did some things Sunday that looked like Josh Allen last year. This game reminded me so much of the Houston playoff game from a year ago. Start out early. The looks seemed to confuse him. I, I still think early on in his career, Josh is having a hard time against zone defenses trying to figure out where to go with the ball. And against man, he's got two of the best route runners in Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs on his team. So against man, one of those two guys is likely to be open, and there's your outlet. But against zone, it's about recognition pre-snap and then adjustment during the play if your pre-snap read doesn't come open. And I think Josh is still struggling with that, and likely because – Defensive coordinators in the NFL get paid a lot of money. You see a place, a, a guy is struggling, you're going to make him beat you that way. And the defensive coordinators are going to throw a lot at Josh Allen going forward. He threw two picks in the game, the first of which I thought was miscommunication or something else by Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Diggs stopped on the route. It's a in route. Maybe he thought he was supposed to stop and catch it there. Maybe he saw the safety coming over and thought, that's a collision I don't want any part of, made a business decision, whatever the case may be. That was why Patrick Peterson was able to get that. The second was just a bad pass. That said, Allen had two other passes that easily could have been picked. But now we get to the meat and potatoes of what happened on Sunday afternoon. Late, Bill's down, Josh Allen has shown a propensity, and this is – there's a million things I love about this kid. I love his physical abilities. I love his character and makeup, the way he goes about his business, the way he plays the game hard. Yes, he's reckless. Yes, hero ball. But give me a guy who's willing to do anything to win a football game. It has the talent that Josh Allen has. And I think you've got something. And I really do believe the Bills have something special in Josh Allen. But, his ability late to seemingly just turn it up a notch. And that's what all the greats in any sport have ever done. You know, you think of the greatest basketball players of all time. Start with Michael Jordan. Why is Michael Jordan regarded as the greatest player of all time? Because late put the ball in his hands and Craig Elo can't check him. Nobody else can either. It's just one of those things. The great players, when the chips are down, make great plays. Josh Allen, it's too early in his career to call him a great player. But, man, he makes big-time plays late in the game. And that throw to Stephon Diggs was about as perfect of a play 
in the NFL as you can have. You read it right. You throw it where only your guy can make the play. Diggs makes a heck of a catch. And the Bills, with 32 seconds left, look like they're going to get out of the desert with a win and with an 8-2 and two record going into the bye. Well, as we know, 32 seconds is a heck of a long time. And, again, here's where I, I think the Bills, if they made a mistake, I don't know that the mistake was made on the play. To me, the mistake was made on the previous three plays. Very soft coverage. Now, Arizona had two timeouts. you got to get them to use their timeouts so you make them throw in the middle of the field. But you're just giving them 15 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards to give them a chance to throw to the end zone. It's got to be a little bit more than that there, in my opinion. But the reality is, this is a play that DeAndre Hopkins makes and maybe nobody else in the league makes since Randy Moss retired. Hopkins goes up between three players. The Bills had it covered well and makes a great play. Kyler Murray avoids the rush, throws the ball across his body, not high arching to give more time for the Bills defense to get even more guys back there, but kind of on a line and Hopkins high points. It's a great play. Take a look and listen to Sean McDermott afterwards react to the game. Shotgun. Murray out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Murray heaves it downfield. Listen, we've changed this place, right, for the better. It's a shame when these things happen the way they do. And all I can tell you is um, that I got a bunch of tough, tough guys in this locker room and gals that we're going to come back. We're going to come back stronger. Obviously crushing for McDermott and the Bills. And, and looking at that play, every time I've seen it, and I've seen it now 50 times, it just amazes me that, you know, Hyde's in the back, White's in the front. You, know, you think about it, go back to basketball for a minute. If, how do you double-team somebody? You front them and you put somebody behind them. But football's a contact sport. You can do things differently in football. Rip their arms away from the ball. Do a lot of things. The Bills played the ball. If anything, if Micah Hyde goes at, DeAndre Hopkins' arms or hands instead of trying to play the ball. Maybe it comes out, but I think at that point it's too late because once it's in those mitts of DeAndre Hopkins, it's likely not going anywhere. Now, there's one part of this play that I don't think is getting enough attention, and I, I think it's the fact – Sean McDermott does this all the time, and it's something I disagree with vehemently, and I know McDermott knows – a million times more football than I do. I just think from a logistical standpoint, his continuing to call defensive timeouts when his opponent is out of timeouts 
is something that hurts his team. He called a timeout before that play. Arizona's out of timeouts. And they've got the ball with 11 seconds left. Why give them an opportunity to get organized? You've got a second-year quarterback back there who's never thrown a Hail Mary, said, after the game. And you're giving him a chance to go to the sideline and talk to a great offensive mind, Cliff Kingsbury, and plan out how they're going to approach these last two plays because that's what they were thinking they were going to do. And I just think that when you do that as a defensive team, your defense hasn't changed since they got the ball. Once Diggs scores that touchdown, the defense, Leslie Frazier, McDermott, and the players know this. We can't give up plays to the boundary, and we can't get beat deep. So whatever your defensive shell is, you're going to play that all the way down the field. Keep it in front of you. Make them burn timeouts. Clock is our friend. What more does Sean McDermott have to discuss that he needs a timeout before that play? Now, offensively, there are a number of things to discuss, a number of different ways you could play. And it worked very well. And I want you to listen to Peter Schrager of the NFL Network talk about his discussion with Murray, and Murray talked about his discussion with Kingsbury during the game. Listen to Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. All right, I spoke to Cliff Kingsbury after the game. I said, give me everything. Tell me what went down. He said, here was the play call. The play call was called Cowboy. There's 11 seconds left. And the original intent was for, for Andy Isabella to be coming on a crossing pattern, hit him for 20 yards, get out of bounds. Have more time. Close. And set up the final play. Yeah. But Cliff told Kyler, hey, you know what? If Hop is open, you've got the freedom and the green light wow. to do it. Hop wasn't open. Not at all. It doesn't matter. Kyler felt the confidence. So why was it called Cowboy? If you guys remember a few years back in the playoffs, the Cowboys needed to get in field goal range against the Packers in the biggest game of the year in the divisional round. Dak's rookie year. It was Dak's rookie yeah. year. Okay. This is this. Okay. So it's Dak's rookie year, and, and we're going for the Cowboys-Packers playoff game. Cowboys-Packers, we want to see ya. Remember, it's Dak Prescott, yeah. and it's them, and here it is. Aaron Rodgers rolls. Now, look, this is what they wanted from Kyler last night. Just the quick one, not the Hail Mary. The little one to Jared Cook to set up the final play. That's not what we saw. That is not what you get. So the call is called Cowboys. It's against the Cowboys. 20 yards to Andy Isabella. However, if if you see Hopkins and you feel good, let it rip. He let it rip. They win the game. But that was not the intended play. And look, we keep showing this because... What are the Bills doing? They need a touchdown. Why are the, all the Bills not in the end zone? Instead, Kyler says, all right, there's only going to be four of them. That's not enough. Hopkins will get this. But uh, Tony Dungy kind of hit this. Like, if they get a 40-yard gain here, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Everyone get to the end zone and play defense on that thing. I can knock the Bills defense. I'm not a defensive coordinator. But the play call is called Cowboy. Kyler was supposed to go to Andy Isabella, but he had that little out. If you want to go to Hopkins, it's yours. He did. It's an awful lot of discussion that wouldn't have happened without Sean McDermott giving a timeout and allowing that discussion to happen. And again, I I know McDermott knows football much better than I, but I would love to 
ask him what benefit his defense gets out of that that negates the opportunity for his opponent to get organized. I just I don't understand you giving an advantage to your opponent, using your timeout. Do you think Cliff Kingsbury was upset they called timeout? Or do you think Cliff Kingsbury was like, oh, excellent. Come here, Kyler. Let's talk about this. It's just something McDermott does. He does it time and time again. And every time he does it, I, I lose another hair at the top of my head. And I don't have many left because I just think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. And it really came back to bite him in the ass here. And, and there's no way in my world I will believe that that timeout didn't help Arizona immensely. Now, look, we could break it down all we want. And bottom line is DeAndre Hopkins makes a catch. Like I said, he's the only one who probably makes that catch in the NFL. He maybe makes that catch one out of ten times. Now, X-Gen, next-gen stats, maybe not even one out of ten, one out of 50. Next-gen stats said there was a 17% chance of probability that that play would work. So you're telling me 100 times, 17 times that play works. No, not a chance. And these probability stats, win probability, they're the dumbest thing ever. It's just a way for next gen. We all know that now, right? Next gen, because that's a a brand, a trade name. It's just their way of getting their name out there. But they're meaningless. Statistics generally are meaningless. They can be indicators But in this case, a great player made a great play. It was precipitated by two other good players making great plays, great players making great plays, if you will, Allen and Diggs. It's what football's about, and and it's why it's the greatest sport, in my opinion, that there is. And I I just I I keep looking at this and, and keep thinking about it. We could talk all we want about what the Bills should have done. Should they have more, like Schrager said, more people in the end zone? Bottom line is Hopkins made a great play. He made the play of the season so far and won the game for his team. That's that's it. But it puts the Bills in a bind to an extent because they're now going to the bye at 7-3. Miami is 6-3, and and they play at Denver this week. Denver's reeling. They probably will not have Drew Locke this week as well. So you look at it, when the Bills come back out of the bye, both Miami and Buffalo are 7-3. and three. The Bills then play the Chargers. The Dolphins play the Jets. That's likely they're both 8-3. and three. Then the Bills go out to San Francisco. The 49ers without Jimmy Garoppolo are a different animal. This has not been a good year. George Kittle's out. I got to think the Bills can go on the road and get that win. The Dolphins then would play Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, they got Joe Burrow and not much else. So you have to look at that one. Both teams probably go to 9-3. and three. following week, the Bills play the Steelers. And the Steelers right now are undefeated. I don't know that they're the best team in the league, but they're a damn good football team. That's a tough one for the Bills. Likewise, the Dolphins play Kansas City. Let's give both teams a loss there. They're still tied. Bills then travel to Denver. We talked about that. The Dolphins play the Patriots down in Florida. The Patriots, as we saw on Sunday night, a little bit resurgent. I think the Bills have a little advantage there. The next week, the Dolphins go on the road to play the Raiders. The Bills play the Patriots. That's a tough one for Miami. It's a tough one for Buffalo. And then the final week of the season, 
the Bills and Dolphins play. I think the Bills end up the division winner, but this is going to go down to that last game. That last game in Orchard Park in January is going to determine this game so or this season. It's going to be fun to watch how this happens, but this was a big loss because that one win could mean the difference in resting your players week 17 or playing what could end up being a Sunday night game for the division title. Remember, the last week of the season, the networks move games around depending on importance. Most games start at the same time, so that way teams have to play and can't react to other games. But they always look for a game that's very meaningful to put it on the Sunday night game. That could very well be the Bills and Dolphins going forward. So a big loss, a tough loss, one that didn't have to happen. And Sean McDermott, if you're a fan of the pod, you know, let me know. Why do you call the timeout to give your team a disadvantage? And I really, truly believe that. I'd love to hear his explanation to that. And I get it. You want to be organized. You want to be ready. But there's no way in my mind that outweighs the benefit given to the team that's down that has a chance now to prepare for play to win the game. We saw it Sunday. So that's the Bills talking. Great play by Hopkins. Maybe I didn't say that enough. You know, and all that summation comes down to one of the best players in the league made one of the best plays of the season. Week 10 was an interesting week. A lot of teams on by the Raiders. I'm sorry, the Buccaneers bounced back. I said last week, Tom Brady looked done against the Saints, and he did. And, and last Sunday, he didn't look great again. He, he had a decent game, but in no way did I look at that game and think, oh, this is the real Tom Brady. What I saw was a Buccaneers team with great talent on the outside, obviously. Godwin's back. Evans is great. You had Antonio Brown's mess into that. Gronk is solid. Cameron Bray is solid. This is a team with a lot of options. The offensive line without Ali Marpet, Hobart's own Ali Marpet, are not quite as good. But what the Buccaneers did Sunday is they got back to what they were doing a few weeks ago, and that was run the ball with Ronald Jones. You know, Ronald Jones had the 98-yard touchdown run, which is a big part of his 192 yards on the day. But I think what people have missed about Ronald Jones and the Buccaneers as a whole, Ronald Jones now has 400-yard games this year. When the Bucs run the football with him, not Leonard Fournette, they're much more successful with Jones than they are with Fournette, they've been very good. And, and think about it. It's like anything else. When you're a team that can be multiple, you can run the football, you can throw it, you've got all those weapons, well, you're not going to – do anything that's going to hurt your team. But if you run the football, you're bringing those safeties up. Now play action becomes a real weapon. And all of a sudden you got Mike Evans down the sideline or AB down the sideline. This is a a smarter way to play football, in my opinion, for Bruce Arians to run the offense through Ronald Jones. And I know that sounds a little crazy when you think of the talent we're talking about on the outside and Ronald Jones is just a guy. He's a, he's a decent back. I don't know how high of an upside he has. This may be it. But run the football 
first. Don't throw to set up the run. And I thought, especially against that Saints in that Saints game when the weather was so bad, Jones had three carries. He had 10 carries the last two weeks. I thought they got away from what they were doing really well, and they got back to it Sunday, and I thought that was really, really important. Speaking of running the football, and this is where I get a little old school. If you can run the football, you're going to win football games. Go back to the Bills game for a minute. Bills gave up 207 yards rushing. You're probably not going to win a football game. You give up 200 yards rushing. Now, they almost overcame it, but that's a misnomer. If you run the football that well, you control the clock, keep your defense off the field, you're going to win games. The Browns, in a weather game against the Texans on Sunday, did exactly that. Nick Chubb back from injury, 126 yards and a touchdown, only one. Unfortunately, for some fantasy owners and a whole lot of people who bet on the Browns giving points up, stepped out of bounds at the one to ensure the victory. Smart play by Chubb. Kareem Hunt, also over 100. Maybe as impressive as having two guys have 100 yards in the same game is two guys having 19 carries in the same game. That's old school football, and, and that's a winning formula. If you don't turn it over and you run the ball well, you're likely to win games. Tua Tunga Viola now 3-0 and as a starter. They The Dolphins beat the Chargers. Tua, 15-25, couple touchdowns, made a couple nice plays. Made a good recovery of a, not a recovery, recovered uh, as a player to make a play on a guy who recovered a fumble. So that was really impressive. Tua continues to look the part for the Dolphins. And I think they're seeing what they wanted to see or what they thought they'd see out of him. The other hand, Justin Herbert continues to play well and not win. You look at his numbers, they're fantastic. Quarterback rating of almost 103, completing like 66% of his throws. But it's all about winning. Right now the Chargers aren't. And I think Anthony Lynn is not long for the league as a head coach. The Raiders get a nice win and stay with the running theme. You know, we're getting to mid-November now. The weather's turned. We saw it this weekend, awful weather here in western New York. And teams are starting to run the ball more. The Raiders ran for 203 yards. Josh Jacobs, who's just a stud, had 112 on the day. And don't look now. John Gruden is building something special in the desert. He's got a very good team that Khalil Mack trade gave him those extra picks. He and Mike Mayock working very well together, building up that roster. I don't know that this year is the year the Raiders are ready to go, and that AFC West is so tough with Kansas City anyway. But this Sunday night, Raiders-Chiefs going to be a real good one, and if they can continue to run the ball, watch out. Now, all that talk about running comes to a stop when I bring in the Pittsburgh Steelers part of the discussion. Steelers rolled over Cincinnati, 36-10. Roethlisberger had a nice week. Well, didn't have a nice week. He was in covid quarantine and then was playing but he had four touchdowns 300 plus yards but the Steelers don't run the ball and and it's so strange to me because the Steeler way used to be great defense run the football win games that way well it kind of morphed into Ben Roethlisberger leading an offense that could outscore everybody and that defense got a little away from them for a bit well now that defense is very good and I think one of the best in the league. And they don't have the running game 
to compliment as much as I like James Connors and his story is phenomenal. He just doesn't seem to be able to, to be the guy. If, if he's your two, you got a great running situation. I just don't think he's a one in that Steeler offensive line is getting a little long in the tooth as well. So keep an eye on that as, again, we get to the colder weather. Can Ben continue to carry the team? He did Sunday. He's having a very nice year quietly. But do you want to go with him to win you football games in bad weather in the playoffs? Rams beat Seattle. Russell Wilson all of a sudden just hitting the skids. Two more interceptions. DK Metcalf held to two catches. Only had four targets, a little bit of frustration showing through with Metcalf. Wilson at times appeared to not see the field all that well. It was a little strange what went on in that game. But the Rams are a tough team. Seattle has plenty of time to correct itself. I think they'll both be playoff teams. I just don't know right now in a road game, do you think Seattle goes on the road in January, potentially to a cold-weather climate like Green Bay and can get a win. I personally don't think they can. Green Bay did what they had to do to get by Jacksonville. Seattle, I'm sorry, the Saints ended up getting a win over San Francisco. Drew Brees got hurt. And, you know, the Drew Brees hit. I've watched that a bunch of times, too. How that's a penalty, I don't know. And I, I understand. You want to keep your quarterbacks healthy. It's good for the league when they're healthy. It's still a game of football. This isn't flag. This is tackle. This is real big boy football. Drew Brees got hit, got laid out, got hurt. It's unfortunate. It's part of the game. That was a 15-yard penalty because it's Drew Brees. It's a Hall of Famer, and he got hurt, not because of the play. I thought that was bad refereeing in that one. Let's see what Jameis Winston can do. Sunday night's game was fun with the rain and the wind in Foxborough. It also showed that Belichick has once again found a way to win football games, and it's by running the football. Once again, we're ta- we've talked about it a number of times today. The defense has gotten better. They've run the ball. And, and for Baltimore, they lose the tight end, Boyle. And that, that's going to be a tough, tough injury. But I thought bringing Mark Ingram back and giving him the ball as much as they did it wasn't working, yet Gus Edwards, who's been there for the last couple of weeks and actually contributed pretty much consistently over the last couple of weeks, was doing things when he got an opportunity. I, I thought maybe you're forcing Ingram back in, and, and maybe he wasn't ready yet. And, and Lamar Jackson, a lot of people want to dog him for his performance. Look, in that weather, no. Let, let, let's, let's evaluate Lamar on the body of work, not what he did in a monsoon. And then last night, an interesting game. I, I got to say this before I talk about the Bears-Vikings. The Bears seem to be on primetime five, six times a year. Is there a more boring team in the NFL than the Chicago Bears? I love their defense. They're fun to watch defensively sometimes when Khalil Mack gets going. But what's their offense? And whether it's Trubisky or Foles, and Foles got hurt at the end of the game, so maybe now if Trubisky's healthy, he gets another shot. My question is this. Why are they on TV that often when they're that unwatchable? And they are that unwatchable. That, that's just horrible. So that's the NFL Week 10, Week 11. And, you know, as the COVID rages, 
The NFL continues on. And the fact that we are getting towards the end of this season, now there are seven weeks left in this season to get this done. I really think that they're going to get it in and most of the games are going to happen in time. And then whatever playoff bubble they come up with, and I do believe it'll be a playoff bubble, is going to be something that the league deals with and gets through and we're all able to sit and watch football. And, you know, as a big fan as I am, that that's a good, very good thing. So good to see the NFL doing that. College football continuing on. Pac-10, kudos to them, not for deciding to play now that it's November because that, that's ridiculous. Kudos to them for just saying we're going to play anywhere, anytime. The Cal-UCLA game Sunday at 9 a.m. on the West Coast in the Rose Bowl. But they got a game in. And I think 2020 sports is just that. When there's a chance to get a game in, you get it in. And, and they did so Sunday morning. They've been playing games out there now for a couple of weeks. It's It's been interesting. You've had some teams not be able to play. I don't think any of the teams in the Pac-12 are good enough to factor anyway but at least they're making an effort to play. And, you know, the Big Ten's the other league that started late. It's not the Big Ten. It's the Big Two. Let's, let's, let's be honest. First off, Michigan. Jim Harbaugh, the buzzards are circling in Ann Arbor. It's a guy who came into this season with pressure on him because he doesn't win the big games. He's one of the five highest-paid coaches in college football. He's producing like he's one of the 50th best coaches in college football. And this year, not even that Michigan now one in three after Saturday's embarrassing loss at home. They, they just got beat up by Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a very good football team, only their second game. So I don't know that you can evaluate them enough to give them a chance at getting into the playoff, but that's a good football team and a much better program right now than Michigan is. Michigan is a joke. Penn State is now 0-4. Look, I, I don't think you make coaching changes based on this year. With Michigan, it may be different because Harbaugh was trending this way anyway. James Franklin actually had a pretty good year last year, so I don't think you overreact and whack him. But for Penn State to be 0-4, Michigan to be 1-3, it's just an embarrassment for the Big Ten. Now, they've still got Ohio State. I talked about Wisconsin. Northwestern's 4-0. I don't think I believe that Northwestern is that good. But the other good team in, in the Big Ten is Indiana. And it's a great story. And I think it's one that we're all going to look at Saturday and say, is it real? They play Ohio State. Well, what does Vegas think of Indiana? They're 21-point dogs to Ohio State. So if Indiana who has beaten now Michigan and Penn State, are 21-point dogs to Ohio State. Is Michigan going to be a 20-point dog to Ohio State? And that right there might be the impetus to move on from Jim Harbaugh at the end of this year because that would be embarrassing to the boosters of Michigan. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, is the NBA draft. And while the NBA draft this year is a little weird, well, it's a, everything's weird this year because of the timing of it, the uncertainty of the start of the season. And the fact that there's no real one guy that 
you know, everyone thinks is going to be the guy. LaMelo Ball is one of the top picks. I wouldn't pick LaMelo Ball if I had the last pick in the second round because two things happen. You're drafting a kid who's never played defense in his life, one. Two, all right, I'm going to give you three things. You're drafting a kid who, like his brother, although his brother plays very good defense, but like his brother, well, if his shot improves, that's a big if. If you've gotten to a point of your basketball career where you're good enough to be drafted, but the team that drafts you is going to want to change your jump shot, the odds of that improving to the point where you're a really good shooter is minimal. Very few guys in the history of the league have come in as a terrible shooter and have gotten better. Very rarely does that happen. So LaMelo's not a good shooter, and at the NBA level now, you've got to be able to shoot it. And he plays zero defense. So that's your lead guard. Oh, yeah, and as quiet as LaVar Ball has been for the last year, there's no way he continues to be quiet. He's being quiet so his kid can go number one. And when he does, you've got LeVar back in the fold, running his mouth, ruining his kid's chances again. And no way I'm bringing LeVar Ball into my facility. But whoever drafts LaMelo will do just that. Anthony Edwards is the kid I like out of Georgia. I think he's perfect athlete for today's NBA game offensively very skilled James Wiseman the big kid from Memphis played about a game there and then decided to opt out to get ready for the draft it's not a big man's league anymore but big men can still be a factor and I think Wiseman can be in the right system a very good player who can help his team win again you're not going to run everything through him but kind of like DeAndre Ayton out in uh, Phoenix Having that big body and having a guy who can play some defense, run the floor, create a mismatch problem, makes everyone else around him better. I think Wiseman could eventually do that. But the reason I talk about the NBA draft is not to talk about those three guys. It's to talk about three other guys, and especially Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart's a kid from Rochester, went to McQuaid for a couple years before transferring to a prep school. He is going to likely go late first round, somewhere probably from 20 to 30. This is a kid who's a throwback player. And in a different era of the NBA, Isaiah would probably be a top 15 pick easily. He has got an NBA body in that he's 6'9", built, rock solid, very athletic. He's improving his offensive game. Scott Fitch, who's a great head coach at Fairport High School, also worked with the Team USA 18 and under guys, has done a ton of work with Isaiah to improve his shot and improve his, his offense. I think that Isaiah's a hard worker. Whoever gets him is going to be very happy. And this is a kid who's going to have an NBA career for a long, long time. And when you look at what Thomas Bryant has done with the Wizards, now, Isaiah Stewart, that's two kids from our fair city here in Rochester playing in the NBA. And I, I just can't tell you, as somebody who's been around high school basketball for a long time, how proud that makes me of our, our teams and, you know, the different programs that go on, whether it be CYP in Pittsburgh, Greece Basketball Association, 
the the job that Matt Jones is doing at hoop strength right now to help young players get better. There are a lot of things and a lot of reasons why Rochester, New York has gotten better and better with its level of basketball. Two other kids likely won't get drafted, but I anticipate they're going to go to camp with somebody and end up in the G League. And when you're in the G League, you're one play away from the NBA. One is Quentin Rose, who had a great career at Temple. He's prototypical NBA body athletically, about 6'7", can shoot it. Very, very good player. And I think he'll get a long look in the G League. And then there's Anthony Lamb. And Lamb is an interesting guy because the America East Player of the Year a couple times was it's just a great player and a great kid. Bit undersized for the way he plays the game. He goes about 6'5", 6'6". And I would say his best position is as a four. And in the NBA, that's that's just not really something that I see working. Now, that said, if you got a kid who makes everyone around you better, a kid who works his ass off day in, day out, well, you take a chance on a kid like that. And he, he is that kid. So I'll be interested to see where those two young men end up. And if it if it's not the G, the G League and it's not the NBA – I'm confident in saying that both of them will make a fair amount of money overseas playing basketball for as long as they want to. They're both very good players, come from good families, so let's hope that the best for our young men from the Flower City. The Marlins did something this weekend that's, that's really impressive, and Derek Jeter has been – I've criticized the heck out of him as an owner. He's gotten better as an owner. He's – Made moves that didn't pay off, but now there's a lot of young talent in Miami. And who knows where they go from here. But the thing that he did this weekend, hiring Kim Ng to be his general manager, the first female in any of the major pro sports to be the head decision maker for a team, she is an impressive woman. If you've followed her resume, you've seen, I mean, she comes out of, school and gets a job in Chicago with the White Sox as an intern, starts there and works her way up through stints with the Dodgers, stints at the Major League Baseball offices, worked for the Yankees and Brian Cashman. She's been around. She knows the game. She knows the players. She knows baseball. And she is sharp. So I'm interested to see how that goes for the Marlins. And I think almost as importantly, now that that threshold has been broken, who's next? And I think it's a great thing for all of our society. And I think it's a great thing for women in general to be shown once again, little girls dream big because there aren't ceilings on your dreams anymore. And I think Kim Ng breaking that barrier is just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Prop to, props to Jeter and the Marlins for going out and hiring her. They hired the best available candidate. They didn't hire somebody because she's a woman. And I think that's an important thing to remember as well. Well, the Masters was this weekend. And obviously, 2020, everything's different. November Masters. The course played a little easier. Not having fans there, as we've seen it all year, if you're a golf fan watching the events, the scores are lower. There's less pressure. These guys are walking around having a good time because 
it's just them playing with their caddies and the guys they're, they're teeing it up with. And we saw scores so low, but Dustin Johnson going 20 under. DJ is one of those guys who, when he's at his best, he wins. Everyone else plays at their best. Nobody's best is better than Dustin Johnson's right now. He's continued to get better. He's continued to improve aspects of his game. Last year was the wedge game. This year he's actually gotten a lot of help from Greg Norman on his putting. And it's it's gotten better and better and better. And for the amount of work this guy puts in, his career hasn't always been smooth. You know, there was the injury from slipping and falling down the stairs or being pushed by his girlfriend, Paulina, whatever the case may be. We don't judge how you got hurt. He was hurt, couldn't play. There was also the year he missed because he had back issues or he was suspended. Again, whatever, couldn't play. But now he's a two-time major champion. He's won over 20 events. He's a Hall of Famer. He's still very much in his prime, and you wonder where does he go from here. The other side of the coin is this. Tiger Woods gave us all a reason to be interested on Thursday when he went out and shot four under. And while there was always hope that Tiger was going to get it going, Tiger's game at this point just isn't good enough. And I never thought I'd say that. guy who came out on tour and was always the longest hitter, how long he was was his big advantage. He's not long enough anymore to play the way he plays because he, if he doesn't give himself a real good shot, it's not a good enough putter to make long putts. He, he makes the short putts, but he doesn't get great looks that often. And, and it's just sad. And, you know, on Sunday afternoon, and I'll let you watch the video, Tiger made a 10 on number 12. This is one of those things when you see the, the tee shot, there was some indecisiveness before, but he made the mistake that he knows he couldn't make. Last year, he won the Masters because he did not do that. Second shot, what's he do? Doesn't hit it far enough back, puts too much spin on it. That's a tough break, but at the same time, you can't make that shot. So now you've hit it twice in the water. What do you think the third time is going to do? Yep, back bunker, here I come. It's a little bit of an awkward stance, and boom, back in the water. Tiger then just says, I got to just put this on the green. Little flip, gets on the green. I'm not going to make an 11. I'm going to make sure I make a 10, lag this baby up there, tap it in. That's a 10, folks. Tiger Woods made a 10. Now, to his credit, that's on number 12. He birdied 13, 15, 16, and 18 coming in. It showed the fight he still has in him. But unfortunately for Tiger at this point of his career, his body's unable to handle the practice schedule that he would need to get back to where he needs to get to. His game isn't as good as his brain thinks it is because his brain's still on Tiger Woods circa 2009. His game is on Tiger Woods circa 2020. Two different games. They don't work together. They don't mesh well together. And unfortunately for Tiger, it, it's not going to get better anytime soon. It, we saw Phil as well struggle on Saturday. 
these two guys are two of the greatest who ever teed it up. Enjoy them when you see them. Temper your expectations. Maybe one of them finds lightning in the bottle the way Tiger did last year at Augusta, and we have another special moment. But at this point, those days are few and far between, and I don't anticipate either of them contending or winning another major as we go forward. That doesn't mean I won't be hoping to see it. just means I don't think it's going to happen. So Dustin Johnson wins, gets emotional, and, you know, for the TV cameras, they got to see Paulina. And let's be honest, nobody else got airtime like Paulina did, and there's a good reason why. That's Falcon Around for this week. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening.